fascia is a bunch of very small collagen tubes that wrap and attach everything in the body to everything else. It's like a fiber optic cable system for the entire body. It contains a thousand times more nerves than the rest of the body and the brain cells. Okay. And this is what we mean when, when we say that nothing in the body breaks alone. So that bum right knee is already turning into a bum left hip or, or maybe even a bum right hip. Okay. And then that bum right or left hip is going to start to turn into a bad back. And then that back is going to turn into a tight shoulder. Okay. And then that tight shoulder starts to turn into a tight neck and then headaches and migraines. All right. And people will seem that they are all unrelated. They'll be like, none of this, like that, that's not connected to that. And people will come and see me. And one of the first things I'll ask them, you know, did you have a, a really big accident or some sort of trauma that occurred or yada, yada. And they'll be, oh, yeah, you know, nine years ago, um, I got in a car accident or nine years ago, I slipped and fell by the pool. And they're like, but that can't be this still. And I'm like, oh, no, it definitely is. Because pain takes time to develop in the human body. Welcome to the HNL Movement Podcast, where everything is geared to leveling up your performance in activities, sports and life. Join me in my professional journey as I share my knowledge and experiences while also learning from professionals, colleagues, clients, and you with one goal in mind, how to optimize human performance. This is the right place to learn how a multidimensional approach will sustain the performance and lifestyle you desire. Welcome back everyone to the HNL Movement Podcast. Thank you for joining me for another episode. For any of the new listeners out there, you're in the right place to hear about everything that helps you to optimize your performance and reach all of those fitness goals. For all of the returning listeners out there, thank you so much for joining me for another episode. And if you haven't checked out some of the previous library of great guest interviews, solo topics that I cover, go check that out on all of your favorite podcasting platforms or on my website at hnlmovement.com podcasts. And also, I'm putting up video highlight clips of the podcast episodes up daily with a lot of the great guest interviews. You can see some of the video content associated with the audio. So check that out on my YouTube channel. Just search for H&L Movement and you can see the H&L Movement podcast playlist. If you like these episodes, go to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast and share these with family, friends, colleagues and teammates as well. Today we have a great episode lined up and it's my pleasure to welcome Chris Kadowski to the podcast. He shares so many great experiences, everything from growing up as an athlete, playing collegiate football, and how he eventually found his passion as a strength and conditioning coach and also in the field of health and fitness. He has also made a stop here at University of Hawaii as a graduate assistant strength coach back in the day. And he has a lot of great experiences to share from that too. And he's eventually worked with a lot of high-level athletes, ran his own CrossFit gym, owned his own businesses, and also got into the field where he's doing a lot more body work that helps people to optimize their performance. We talk about everything from concepts to the fascial system to some of his philosophies and experiences that he's gained throughout the years. Without saying anything more, let's jump straight into this episode. Enjoy this one. 
Welcome back, everyone, to the H&L Movement podcast. I am so glad that I got connected with this guest. There's a lot of overlap in perspective and approach to dealing with pain and helping people to optimize their performance. And I would like to welcome no other than Chris Kadowski to the podcast today. And there's so many things we're going to talk about. So why don't you start a little bit by telling, sharing with us a little bit about how you got into the world of strength and conditioning first, Chris? Okay. Uh, I was first off, uh, you know, very flattered to be here. Thank you so much. Uh, when I was a, when I was a sophomore in college at the university at Buffalo, it was my second year playing football and I was flunking out. Okay. I, I had to take, I was in exercise science, uh, just because I love activity and I love exercise and, and in exercise science at the university of Buffalo, you, you are competing with everybody that's pre-pharmacy and pre-med. So I did not do very well when it came to my education. I was competing with people that were way smarter than me that were not in what I consider to be even kind of like the same profession. Like I would think you need to know a lot more as a doctor than you do as an exercise scientist. So why am I taking all the same curriculum? Regardless, it's my sophomore year. I am flunking something fantastic and I came to my guidance counselor and said, I'm not on the five-year plan and definitely not on the six-year plan. What do I have to do in order to graduate in two years? And she like looked at my classes and my grades and she's like, oh my God, dude, like you're going to have to take two separate summer semesters. And she was just going on and on and on. And I said, okay. So when I got done with spring ball that year, uh, I sat down with the coach, with coach service and I asked him, I said, you know, do I have a scholarship coming? He goes, ah, you know, we got some guys coming in and they're going to be competitive. And I said, coach, if I can't have an answer as to whether or not I'm going to have a scholarship next year, um, I'm going to have to step down. And he's, oh, you know, well, Chris, you know, we love you. We, we want you to stay. And I was like, coach, I got it. I, I got stuff to do. So I ended up quitting playing football. And I figured if I can't play football, I want to help people who want to play football. So I went to the student assistant to the, to the student weight training or weight room. My friend slash boss there, Phil Ryan, he was in charge of all the other Olympic sports, everything, but uh, football. And I asked him, I said, you know, would I be able to intern for a little bit? Uh, I just want to try my hand, like see if this is for me within three hours of being in the weight room. I was like, I, I, I had found my niche, you know, I, there was nothing else in the world that I wanted to do other than help people get fast, get strong, be healthy. And I committed myself that day to just becoming the Navy SEAL of, of everything that is health and wellness. Yes. That's an awesome story. And usually we all have, you know, these moments that are pivotal, right? And it kind of shifts us to find your passion or your path in the world of, you know, health and fitness. Right. And right. I, I do want to back up a little bit because I know you're a multi-sport athlete. So growing up, you know, I mean, football, you played football in college, but what, what, what other sports did you love to play backing up to high school leading into college? I mean, man, when I was young, we pretty much played everything except soccer religiously. We, we would play soccer every once in a while, maybe two or three times a year, but it was really baseball. It was softball. It was tackle football, two-hand touch on the pavement. I played ice hockey, uh, and then I also played hockey. 
on the pavement as well. But then when I got to high school, it was golf, football, uh, baseball and track, basketball and track. I'm sorry. And then obviously you get into college and uh, for most people, it's just one sport from then on. So uh, I played football for two years at the University of Buffalo. Yes. And playing at the collegiate level, you know, that's a feat in itself, right? Gearing up before college, was strength and conditioning a big part of your schedule and your training regimen? I know you were really busy with all these different sports. Mm -hmm. So was strength and conditioning something that you were always interested in and passionate about? Yeah, it was. Ever since I was the age of eight and I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger on the front of uh, Muscle and Fitness magazine or something like that, I was like, that is awesome. I I want that to be me. So I started lifting weights at a very young age when we had the plastic weights that you would fill with cement Mm -hmm. and it was just a standard bar. I had those, I had the dumbbells and uh, I did absolutely nothing for like the first six years of my life exercising besides um, chest and buys. (laughs) <laughs> got, got it. Got it. Every, every day, every day that I exercised was just chest and buys, chest and buys. And then, you know, you start to play sports and you realize like, man, I should probably do something for my knees, you know, for, for, for my, for my hips, for my ankle, I should probably squat or something yes. like that. Um, so when I got into high school, I started squatting. And I remember the first time I, I tried squatting, uh, 135 pounds because I could, I could leg press like 400, but I never squatted before. Nobody ever taught me. So I'm 14 years old. I just put 135 pounds in the bar and figure, oh, this is going to be light. And I, I literally, when I sat down to squat, I went into C-spine. Like, I mean, my, my head was almost touching the floor. My back was rounded and I stood back up and everybody was looking at me. They're like, bro, are you okay? Is your back Okay. Like, oh my gosh, man, like you, you, your back should have some serious pain right now. I'm like, I didn't feel anything. I'm fine. You know? So uh, once again, yeah, strength, conditioning, exercise has always been a part of my life, but uh, I did not start to understand how to do it correctly till I got done exercising as a athlete and became a coach. Like that, that, that was the greatest shift right there. Uh, just realizing that you can't do five sets of 10 or five sets of five for the rest of your mm-hmm. life and keep on pro- progressing. That's very true what you said. And I think for a lot of us, you know, there's a difference when you have to coach and teach someone something, it just embeds and ingrains that knowledge or, you know, how to apply that knowledge so much more for yourself. Right. Yeah. So a lot of times, a lot of athletes, you know, and there's, super athletic. They know everything like body awareness is really good. They know how to train and all of that. But then when the athlete starts to teach a teammate even, or teach another person, a younger, a younger athlete that doesn't have as much knowledge and experience, it typically tends to really benefit the athlete that's teaching it. Right. So that's kind of when you got into that coaching realm, it really started to get all of that knowledge that you had. And now you're trying to teach it to someone else that doesn't have that experience. So I think that's something that we see, especially with coaches, right? It really helps to sharpen that skill of coaching when you have to teach it to someone else. Oh yeah. Fast forwarding when you got to university of Buffalo and you played football, right? So your story, you weren't on scholarship, you know, but you were still working hard, working hard on and off the field. What position did you play at university of Buffalo? I was a wide receiver. 
wide receiver. Got it. Yep. So now you're at this crossroads, right? You have to figure out, I need to graduate, right? And you also want to kind of be around sports, I would say. That's majority of us who want to work with the active population. Sure. Now, when you got into the weight room, how did the rest of your undergrad play out? Because now you had all of the time, the not free time, but you had more time away from football, right? You started interning yep. in the weight room and then did something click for you those last few years? Honestly, man, it was my boss sitting me down and giving me the, uh, the national strength conditioning association textbook. And he said, look, he goes, if you're serious about this, I want you to read this textbook and take the test because to be CSCS certified, I mean, bro, this is back in 1999, 2000. Mm -hmm. um, he said, you know, there's only 2000 or 2200 CSCS coaches. And he said, it's very coveted. You, you'd be in like the top 1% of the 0.1%, you know, and, and whatnot. So he gave me the textbook and I read it in a week. And this is the first time that I can say a textbook stimulated me. You know, on more than just a, okay, cool story, bro, mm -hmm. you know, type, type of, type of level. Um, I was highlighting, I was reading and rereading. I was actually taking the tests that are in there and like challenging my knowledge. And then I started to go and apply it in the weight room. And as I applied certain things in the weight room that led me to experiment with other things. And then I was just like, started to get into Milo a lot. And, um, Oh, what is the, uh, iron mind? Uh, they, they have a fantastic website. They have a fantastic journal that they promote. So I started reading a lot about Olympic weightlifting, uh, combined with powerlifting and then just like a lot of strength lifting, like bodybuilding, but not really caring. How do you look just trying to get as strong as possible. And as I applied a lot of these concepts, I noticed that my athletes started to get stronger than everybody else. And I was just like, okay, what's going on here? And then it kind of became like the coaches that I worked with, they were super proud of me, but then as more and more athletes wanted to work with me and my systems, the coaches kind of got standoffish and, and they would get a little bit frustrated and be like, why does everybody want to train with him? Like, I'm the head strength coach or I'm the assistant strength coach and whatnot. And it really came down to just efficiency. Like when you're a collegiate athlete, you want to be better. Mm -hmm. So if somebody else is in there is in the weight room and they're doing something that's more efficient than everybody else, why wouldn't you want to be a part of that? Mm -hmm. Right. So the only person to not do that was my boss at the university of Hawaii, Tommy Heffernan. Yes. Tommy like welcomed me with, arms open and was just guns blazing. And he saw the changes that I was making in the, in the softball girls. And he was just like, you know, I want you to sit down. Let's look over the baseball program, the basketball program, the volleyball program. And he's like, let's put our heads together. And I want you to create a better program than I already have. And I was like, okay, wow, this is amazing. But it takes a certain humility to, to do something like that. And, in the strength conditioning sector, you know, everybody's just, you know, chest puffed out. Like, oh, I got like six of my guys from the football team, to clean four Oh five, you know, that lesson. It's like, it's always about numbers and who's harder, who's stronger. 
you know, and Tommy was like, this kid knows something. I can see that it's making a difference. Um, let's put our heads together and, and come up with something great for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? So when I got to that point, that's when I was like, okay, obviously I, I, it wasn't just an outlier at the university of Buffalo. Obviously I have a knack for something and I should have, because I used every spare piece of change even that I found on the ground to buy books related to strength conditioning. Mm-hmm. Like I've, I've read them all. I've read them all. That's amazing. And I think, I think that's, that's one of the great aspects, right? You have this passion to keep improving and keep learning, and then you are applying it in real life situations. And there's so many great things that you said there that I want to dive into a little deeper. So remember all of this, because we're going to, this is a great episode because we're going to talk about how your journey has kind of evolved because mm-hmm. this is, we'll get to it in a little while, but this is not really what you're doing now. And I think you have so much more knowledge and things to apply to just health and fitness, but in the performance training space. Sure. But the other thing that you said too, was that, you know, a lot of things, unfortunately, when it comes to strength and conditioning in the traditional sense, it's always just more, more, more. Like there's only one way to to gauge if you're getting stronger, right? It's more right. weight. It's you got to do more of this. It's the volume, right? And as you mentioned and alluded to, it's like sometimes that doesn't necessarily translate to your sport or make you a better athlete. If your sport's right. going to be powerlifting or Olympic weightlifting, then it'll probably translate very well. But if your sport is like softball, the types of things that their body needs to adapt to is quite different than just pure brute ap- absolute strength. Right. So I think right. you were diving into all of these concepts and yes, Tommy is great. I mean, at UH, he does a great job and it's good to hear that, you know, you guys collaborated because I think that's something in any health and fitness professional, there's not as much collaboration as there should be, I would say. And unfortunately, a lot of settings, I do yeah. think it's, getting better. But when people with different experiences and disciplines come together, you can create something even greater than what you've been doing. Right. Do you have any comments on that? Uh, You know, like when you talk about, you know, the passion and whatnot, in my experience, if you are going to do something like strength conditioning or which we'll talk about a little bit later, body work, it has to come down to passion as being what drives you. Okay. And and I guess that's one of the things that I really saw about Tommy was he was very passionate about his work. I mean, as a graduate assistant strength conditioning coach, we worked from five in the morning till six 30, seven o'clock at night. And Tommy would allow us to go home in the middle of the day to have lunch and rest up or something like that. But he lived out in Kaneohe. So he was never going home. And because my boss was never going home, I wasn't, I wasn't going home either. So I would stay with him uh, a majority of the time. And I think he definitely respected that, respected the fact like, okay, this kid's not trying to take the easy way out. And this isn't just a job to him, or it's not just that, oh, I got a graduate assistantship in paradise. Like this kid actually wants to work and make a difference. And that is something that never presented itself to me in my life before. I mean, I had a bunch of different jobs, but none of them I ever said, wow, like I want to do this for the rest of my life. You know, I I mean, I was a dishwasher for a while. Like nobody grows up, you know, what what do you want to be Andrew and say, I want to be a dishwasher when I grow up. 
right? Like nobody really says that, Mm -hmm. but this was the first job or opportunity or career path that came across my, my life. And, you know, I didn't change it for a very, very long time. I didn't change it for about 16, 17 years. And, um, you know, to this day, when I look back at everything that I've done, there's nothing that I think I didn't accomplish or miss. You know, I've worked with champions in multiple different sports. Uh, I've worked with collegiate athletes, high-level collegiate athletes, high-level high school athletes, you know, and then I owned my own CrossFit gym for three and a half years. I, I ran that as an underground physical therapy clinic. Mm-hmm. So there was just, uh, there, there was never any turning back. It was something that I always knew was going to be in me for a really long period of time. I don't really know where that came from or, or how it developed at such a young age. But, uh, you know, I wake up every single day and I, I'm, I feel very lucky to be doing what I'm doing. And I wish that a lot more people had that feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I really, I really do, man. Yes, definitely. And I, I can tell that you're very passionate for everything that you've done. All of these experiences, it's kind of funny how sometimes it leads you down to the path or, you know, what you're meant to do, right? How, how you're like, you're calling to help other people, right. right? Right. So not to take anything away from your career, but I do want to talk about what you're doing now before we get into that. So you, you came to University of Hawaii, right? A graduate yeah. assistant for a couple of years. Did you stay here a little while after? Yeah, I was there. I was uh, there for about six and a half years or six years longer. I was a grad assistant for three and a half. Yes. And, and that's the other thing too. the grad assistants. They're only supposed to be there for two years. <laughs> and then Tommy was like, you can add another year if you want. And I was like, okay. And then we did that year. And I, and I was just kind of like waiting for him to say something. And then uh, one day he was like, uh, he, he goes, we could probably only push this one more semester because they're starting to ask me questions. And I was like, okay, so I was there for another semester. And then I was uh, on Oahu for about six more years after that. I worked at Hickam Air Force Base and I worked in a lot of other high schools uh, as kind of like a freelancer, uh, helping the high school kids. Uh, I I got a couple kids into into the college game and whatnot. And then uh, I also, I trained the Von Best the three years that he was at the University of Hawaii. Yes. So uh, getting him into the NFL, that was a pretty big deal. Yeah, working with all of these different athletes, great people too. And yep. after your stop in Hawaii, and you still say that you come to Hawaii very frequently to give yourself yep. a little break, right? A little breathing room. But after your stop in Hawaii, where did you end up after that? And how did this kind of transform into what you're doing right now? Okay, so... Um, oh, we're going to go backwards for a quick minute and then we'll go okay. forwards. I'm mentioned to you that, you know, I was 14 years old and I go into the gym and I start squatting with terrible form. Mm -hmm. And I was a big basketball player at the time too, and football player. So I was using my lower body a lot, but I wasn't strengthening it. By the time I was 15 years old, I had knee and both, I had pain in both knees, a lot of it. Mm -hmm. Okay. And every year it just got worse and worse and worse. So by the time I'm 30, okay, I'm just completely fed up with the pain. And I drown my sorrows in a couple of beers. And then I say, you know what? Like you have a master's degree in kinesiology. If somebody can't, somebody else can't fix you, 
you should have the knowledge to fix yourself. So that's what I did. I started reaching out to other people to see if they could help me based off of the condition that I felt I had. Okay. And after a couple of years to the tune of nearly 30 to $40,000 of trying to pay people to help me, mm-hmm. I realized that nobody knew what the problem was. Everybody was just guessing. Mm-hmm. And I then needed to fix myself. So as I started to research my own and really figure out what was going on with me, I started to take my own pain away. Okay. And that translated because at the time I still identified myself as a strength conditioning coach. The athletes that I would work with at specific high schools um, in, on Oahu, uh, they would come in. Maybe they had like a twisted ankle. Maybe they got a stinger. Maybe they jammed the thumb. Um, they got a bum elbow or their knee starting to hurt when they squat. And uh, I would just say, hey, you want me to uh, take a look at that for you? And they'd be like, what do you mean take a look at it? I'm like, you, you want me to see if I can help you? And they'd be like, why can you, you know, and they get, everything would get like super weird. And and I'd be like, yeah, let me just come on over here. Let me check this out. And I would start to just feel their musculature. And if there were any outliers, if there was something that was tight, if there was something that was painful, if there was a lump or a bump or something like that, uh, I would apply a pressure and a little bit of heat in the form of friction. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden these people would start to feel better. And their problems would go away the way that mine were going away. Now, I didn't understand how people don't know about this because for me, the pain was never in my knees. It was in my quadriceps. And when I applied pressure into my quadriceps, I got the same knee pain that I did when I would run, jump, or squat. Yes. So I was like, okay, the pain isn't in the joint. The pain is in the musculature. And your brain is in in your neurofascial system are trying to tell you to stop using your leg, not to stop Mm -hmm. using your knee. They're trying to stop you from using your leg because the the quad is damaged. The Mm -hmm. muscle tissue, the fascia in the quad is damaged. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the light bulb moment for me. So when um, I left Hawaii, I left Hawaii because my mother ended up getting a, a really terrible uterine cancer. I was like, okay, I'm not going to let you go through chemo or all these other things alone. So I quit my job in Hawaii. I moved to Colorado. And when my mom went into remission and she was fine, that was about six months later. That's when Devon called me up and he said, Hey man, uh, you want to come and work for me? And I said, you're in Miami. Absolutely. So I came down here and that four years that I worked for Devon here in Miami was what really opened up my soft tissue, my, my savviness with the body and uh, what I do as a body worker. My understanding of the soft tissue began there because I would work on him and I would work on some of his teammates. And these guys would literally come to me on a Friday and say, I need to play this Sunday because it's my contract year. Mm-hmm. And I got this guy behind me breathing down my neck. So if I miss this game, he's going to step in Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I lose money, yada, yada. So I work on these guys for two and a half, three hours at a time. Okay. I mean, I'd be completely exhausted when I was <laughs> yes. done. And that was me just putting the pieces together, just figuring out this puzzle that is the human body. I had guys that literally just did not care what I did for them. Mm-hmm. All they knew was that Devon told them 
I would get rid of his pain every single time. Okay. And they didn't care about anything else. They would just show up and be like, fix my hamstring or fix my shoulder or whatever. I was getting an education in real time once again. Okay. Uh, wasn't reading anything about a book or reading about anything in a book. I didn't have anybody else's perception of how the human body worked corrupt my own perception. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I had to think, think for myself a lot of times and it didn't matter what somebody said it hurt. If they asked me if I dealt with it before, I always said, yes. Mm-hmm. Do you know how to get rid of this? Yes, I do. Come on in. And what I would do is a whole bunch of research and figure it out beforehand. And then I would see if um, that thesis kind of stuck. Yes. You know, sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. And I would have to improvise and figure things out. But what that did was it constantly gave me a map of what is going on in the body in real time. Okay. And I started to, I don't want to say at a very young age, but I started to, as like, not somebody who's a scientist or in the science community, or not somebody who has published papers or something like that. I started to understand what was mechanistically true in the human body when it came to pain. And once again, it's just this completely wild concept that nobody else is talking about. Mm -hmm. And I was like, you know, if you're trying to develop speed and power, why wouldn't, you you know, 10 sets of three is going to be a fantastic way to get there. But is that something that you do all the time? No, it's plug and play. Mm -hmm. When you put it in the specific program at the specific times, it can be a wonderful compliment to get somebody more powerful. Okay. But then, you know, you would see a lot of coaches that would be doing this year round and I'm like, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. So then I start to get into body work and getting rid of adhesions and, you know, scarring down tissue that's been causing pain for, for five, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. And everything's supposed to be like foam rolling isn't supposed to hurt. Massage isn't supposed to hurt. If you're getting rid of pain in the body, it's not supposed to hurt more. And I'm finding that when I release tissue in somebody, they can be even in in even more pain or more soreness for about three days. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then at the end of that three days, as the body recalibrates, the pain is like 70 or 80% reduced. And they're just like, I don't understand this. Well, we're always told massage shouldn't hurt. You shouldn't be in more pain, but sometimes when people are, that's when I get the best results. Yes. So how can you deny that? How can you say that? How can you, how can I sit there and be like, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. Right. But with the people that I've a majority of the people that I've had work on me 15 minutes into the session, I already know that I'm throwing my money away, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, you're not doing, and you're not using methods that are mecha- that are, are mechanistically true to what happens in the body when you're trying to eliminate pain. Mm-hmm. And it's very, very simple, but at the same time, just incredibly complex. And the only thing that you can do is just experiment and work on the body for as long as you can. And, and you'll start to figure it out yourself. Yes. There's tons of great things that you said there. And I know there's a lot of overlap too. And one of the things that I first want to break down is that I like how you're 
blending your world of experience. And this even goes back into like the strength and conditioning side, because just understanding movement too, that's going to, I know that's giving you a lot of understanding as to how am I going to attack this? Like they're having pain here. This is what they do. This is what their workout regimen is like. This is what they're doing in their sport, right? That's all information for you too. But you're blending all of this experience that you have from strength and conditioning, from the soft tissue work. And like you said, you do tons of research, right? Uh It's not only doing the research, but you have to have some kind of conceptual knowledge or logic that you're going off of, especially when it comes to the human body. Because like you said, a lot of these concepts are simple. And I've heard you talk about this on another podcast before. Where the pain is, that's just a symptom. That's not what's causing the pain. And that's the simplest concept for, I think most people should learn this like in PE and elementary school. When you have pain, that doesn't mean that's the place that's causing the pain. It's usually coming somewhere else, elsewhere from the site of pain that it's harder to diagnose, I guess, or discern like what's causing the pain. But that's where someone like you or getting assessed by someone that does this, right? That's my approach is like always trying to find the cause of pain and let's target that. And then you'll know if it's working, if the pain starts to subside and you can do more of your normal things and all of that. Share a little bit about that, because I know you talked about this too, and you know, in other, other areas and on social media. So do you have any insight about that? Your approach? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. So when you look at the human body, when, when the average person looks at the human body, we're, we're told that we're kind of a bag of bones, right? We, that um, the bones keep us erect, that the organs are super important. And so is the musculature. Okay. The blood vessels, the nerves, the brain, they're all super important as well. Okay. So we look at the body very much like a, a machine that has components. Okay. And the biggest problem with modern day medicine today is they leave out the biggest and most important component, which is the fascia. Okay. Now you go to an anatomy class and the professor is telling you, cut the skin open, remove the connective tissue. We want to get down to the muscles, the tendons, the bones, the blood vessels, the nerves, that's the good stuff. Okay. And what we find out now Uh, that it's 2021, almost 2022, is that muscles, nerves, and bones, they're not the primary mechanistic drivers of the human body. It's fascia. Okay. And then we look at everything else that fascia does. Half of the immune system properties are born from the fascia. Okay. Our DNA born from the fascia. Scalar waves, which are an entity that we have known about since the eight, the middle of the 1800s, okay, that Nikolai Tesla was obsessed with, mm-hmm. okay, that our fascia actually sends messages back and forth um, into the field, okay, via our scalar energy, via our fascia. When we look at, we have three primary waves of aging in the human body. And what's the start of that? The fascia, the ECM. At ages 34, 60, and 70, the ECM, just something clicks and it says, I'm going to start producing more aging properties and you get older. And everybody thinks like, oh, it's just, you know, you, you're, you're at 52, you're older than 51. Like, no, there's actually windows. And I've had people be like, I felt better in my 50s than I had my early or late, late 30s. 
and whatnot. Um, and that's because at that point, you're the youngest before you start getting older again. <laughs> right. But everybody is talking about muscle, you know, um, everybody's talking about joint and uh, jo joints. Everybody's talking about nerves, um, discs, the spinal cord, like all these really exciting structures in the human body. But the greatest and most misunderstood portion of the human body is our living fascia. And in 2009, there was a conference, the, the World Fascia Conference in Boston, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And with this meeting of the minds, they came to the conclusion that they probably know about 4% of what fascia does in the human body. Mm -hmm. Four, not 40, 4% yes. of, of, of what they feel fascia does in the human body. Now, I don't want to sit here and say that I understand it 100%. That's a complete lie. Mm -hmm. But I get the unique advantage of working with it in a living human being and then also studying it in books. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I can understand a lot more about like the physiological pro property side. Mm -hmm. And then when I start to work on somebody and I'm feeling something like before I just used to press into somebody's leg and, and be like, okay, that's just a big ball of, of muscle sitting mm -hmm. there. And now when I work, I can actually feel the tubes of the fascia underneath. Okay. So without getting people super duper confused, fascia is a bunch of very small collagen tubes that wrap and attach everything in the body to everything else. It's like a fiber optic cable system for the entire body. It contains a thousand times more nerves than the rest of the body and the brain cells. Okay. And this is what we mean when, when we say that nothing in the body breaks alone. So that bum right knee is already turning into a bum left hip or, or maybe even a bum right hip. Okay. And then that bum right or left hip is going to start to turn into a bad back. And then that bad back is going to turn into a sh tight shoulder. Okay. And then that tight shoulder starts to turn into a tight neck and then headaches and migraines. All right. And people will seem that they are all unrelated. They'll be like, none of this, like that, that's not connected to that. And people will come and see me. And one of the first things I'll ask them, you know, did you have a, a really big accident or some sort of trauma that occurred or yada, yada. And they'll be, Oh yeah. You know, nine years ago um, I got in a car accident or nine years ago, I slipped and fell by the pool. And they're like, but that can't be this still. And I'm like, Oh no, it definitely is because pain takes time to develop in the human body. So one of the biggest things that we, that the, one of the easiest examples I can make is every single one of us as kids probably fell a thousand times or more hard. My daughter's three. And when she was learning how to walk, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, she would fall and it's just like bone on, on the tile, you know? And you're just like, oh my gosh, that had to hurt so bad. Well, that's trauma now that her body is having to mitigate. And who knows when she's 10 years old, Maybe she has an ankle that hurts, or maybe she has a knee that starts to hurt, mm -hmm. right? And everybody looks at, to okay, what's going on right now? Well, fascia has a memory. Mm 
Okay. And if you don't eradicate or get rid of that memory through the power of touch or through some form of pressure, a ball, a foam roller, Mm -hmm. um, a back buddy or theracane, et cetera, something like that. You literally wake up every single day and your fascia thinks that the injury just occurred yesterday. Okay. And the more that we ignore it, the tighter it gets because it favors stability for the joints and the rest of the body, we get more and more pain. And then eventually it hurts once a week, every time we play basketball. And then it hurts on the day we play basketball in a couple days after, and then it's chronic. And then at that point where we finally tweak it and, and, you know, it's like at a, at a pain of a 10 out of 10, Mm -hmm. I should probably go and get this checked out. Yes. Right. Yes. (laughs) And that's just the continuum of how exercise and pain or not exercise, but pain and injury progress itself. Right. As you're very aware of. And the one thing that I want to point out here. So yes, you gave that, that blanket statement. Right. And for everyone, yes, fascia encapsulates everything in our body, organs, bones, everything. It's one continuous like web, like you explained. And Mm -hmm. we know now, and this is probably during my career. So even the past decade, you know, there was an understanding of what fascia was, but like you said, it's still, there's so much unknown. And now we know how much neuro input and nociceptors and all of this is in your fascial web. That's creating all of these signals to your brain, right. To tell you if you have pain, if you're moving well, all of these things and your, and your body will adjust and adapt sometimes negatively, but sometimes it can be positively too, if you're taking care of this fascial web. The other thing that you, that you mentioned too, about the fascia, which is really good is understanding that it does have a memory, right. Um, In layman's terms. So what this means is that I think healthcare in general, and this is not to knock healthcare at all, but the way that our system is set up, I don't think we do a great job of taking full care and recovery of previous injuries. So unless you're in the athletic world, I think you have longer term resources, but still yet in that athletic environment, you know, it's always, there's games to play. There's always things Mm -hmm. that you have to do. And I don't think you hundred percent fully get to address all of the dysfunctions created from a simple ankle sprain. Right. And this is something that I see a lot with my athletes and clientele too. Just like you said, you know, we're looking at all of your previous injuries. This is beyond like significant surgeries. This is just like, you know, maybe you had an ankle sprain that was years ago, but when you start to see their function on that ankle, you start to realize there's a lot of deficits that still haven't been resolved. And that could be as even when you're doing soft tissue work or fascial work, right? So that's one thing for any of the listeners out there. It's a point that I always emphasize is that all of these previous injuries, those are things that if it's not fully taken care of or not continually worked on, it can potentially cause other problems. Like you said, it's going to trace up to your hip, your back, your shoulder, your neck. And before you know it, it's like you have this laundry list of issues, right? That you're experiencing that's impeding your performance. And until you actually backtrack and kind of find that cause again, that's really sometimes that addressing that cause, it starts to clean up a lot of things faster, right? So it seems like maybe it's like magic, right? But it's really, no, you're starting to 
as you put it, recalibrate your body so that you can actually move how you should, right? Yeah. I do yeah, want to ask absolutely. you this question too. And then we'll talk a little bit. I know you're really busy, so we won't keep you too much longer. And That's then okay. we'll talk a little bit about your body work and some of the things that you found, some themes and concepts. But how much do you, because I know you're coming from that strength and conditioning background. And we briefly touched on it, you know, before, like sometimes that generic strength and conditioning program, that's not what that person needs. So my question is coming from that exercise background and seeing how to move and strength train in a functional way, how much does that movement component play into what you do? Because you can correct someone and if they go back to moving with all improper mechanics, you know, doing things that are just breaking their body down instead of breaking, instead of making it stronger, they're going to have to see you every day. Right. So talk a little bit about that. How does the movement technique training methods, how does that reinforce what you're doing with body work? That's a really interesting question. And I don't think anybody has asked it to me in, in that way. Okay. But really what it comes down to um, is that we our, our fascia and our, the human body is just a gigantic movement machine. Like we, we get better through movement and then we can also really, really destroy ourselves through movement. Yes. Okay. And it, I have several books out on Amazon and I show people in my back pain Bible, which is kind of my thesis. It's my largest book and mm-hmm. the most information in there. And I I have a chart at the end of the book and I teach people the difference between you stress, which is a good stress for the body Mm -hmm. and then distress. Mm -hmm. And I show them, I say, do you play golf on Monday, Tuesday or Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? And then do you play tennis on Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday? (laughs) And I said, golf is you stress, but golf and tennis is distress. Why? Too much rotation. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I, I show people like, you know, one glass of wine per night, good. One bottle of wine per night, really, really bad. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, what we don't really, and, and like you said earlier, not that we're trying to speak poorly on anything in the westernized medical system, they help people every day, mm-hmm. but with this new research and with these new findings, like there really needs to be a separate career path or a separate type of physician for what we know based off of the rules or, or the, the architecture of living fascia, mm-hmm. right? Where if you, like 10 years from now, if your elbow is hurting it, you're at a party, you're like, oh, I got to go to my doctor because my elbow hurts. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at you and be like, that's silly. Like, you know, it's your fascia. You got to go. Why would you go to a doctor? You got to go to this person, yes. you know? And that's where I really feel like the, the system is going wrong, okay, is we, we have this new information that fascia is the main driver, the, the, com- the main component of movement and safety and growth and protection in the human body, but we're still treating it as if there are separate areas, okay, that will lead people down a rabbit hole trying to get rid of their own pain. Yes. Because when the back hurts, they go to the chiropractor and chiropractor's like, it's the spine. And then they go to an acupuncturist and they say, 
your gallbladder meridian is kablooey. And then, you know, you go somewhere else and the, the, the guys like you need active release technique, ART. And then another guy's like, you need grasping. And it's just like, what's the deal? Like what, what's really, cause one person is saying one thing, another person is saying another. And I, I got this from Joel Green, who wrote a fantastic book uh, called the immunity code, but he, he said, you know, when you're not working with what is mechanistically true in the human body, it's just a, ba- a bunch of baby talk. Yes. So when I hear people talking about nerve, when I hear people talking about muscle, when I hear people tell me that bones are what support the human body, I go, okay, you're, you're still in baby talk. Mm-hmm. You, you, haven't, you haven't really progressed your education. And we've known since I think the 1980s, like the, the, the toward 1989, maybe something like that. Um, studies were done showing that even under a compressive load, that there is no compression between the bones in the knees or in our joints. Mm-hmm. So bones float inside the body, mm-hmm. but yet you can go into college and they will teach you that bones are your structure, that bones keep the body upright. Yes. And it's just like, no, no, no. Fascia uses the bones in two purposes. Okay. Number one is an anchor point. All right. For them to pull on for, for fascia to pull on. And number two is bones are tuning forks. They tell the fascia where the limbs and where our structure is in space. Mm-hmm. That's what bones do. That is, when you're working with what is mechanistically true about the fascia and bones, et cetera, you can get problems in the body to go away very, very quickly. There was a gentleman out in Hawaii, one of my mentors. Um, he pulled his hamstring like just terrible. And I got him better in a day and a half. His brother is an MD and his brother called me up and he goes, what did you do to Seymour? Like, weren't you afraid of touching that hematoma? I would have never believed that, that he is this much better just after a couple of days. Like this is impossible. You know, and he was kind of like, he was joking around, but he was at the state at the same time, like still pretty upset. <laughs> and I told him, I just said, when you, when you work on the problems, the symptoms go away relatively easily. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when you are working with the fascia, all of a sudden the muscle and the nerve and the bone, they start to calm down and sit in their original settings Yes, and, and the pain starts to go away when you're trying to move muscle or when you're trying to treat a nerve, you're not, you know, ablations, rhizotomies. Mm-hmm. I've had people that have had those. And then their pain comes back after three, four weeks. Mm-hmm. And I tell them, I go, it's because your body isn't using the nerves to send the signal. Yes. Fascia has an unlimited, an infinite supply to reroute itself to make sure that you don't keep hurting yourself more and more. And, yes. and that's, that's, that's the, as far as I'm concerned, that's the bottom line. Yes. There's so many great things that you said there. And I think the one to simply simplify it for any of the listeners there is that really the fascia and all of these systems, they're so interconnected. So if you make a change in one area, it is going to affect all of the other um, symptoms. I think when we start to integrate or combine all of these techniques and knowledge and have an understanding as to how it affects the other symptoms, I think that's where these other disciplines are coming from too. It's not to say that 
they have a wrong perspective, but it's knowing that when you do something in one area, it's going to affect a whole myriad of other things in the body right. because the body is one unit. It doesn't work like just the skeletal system, just the muscular system, just the nervous system or fascial system. They all combine as a whole. I know you have to get going really soon. So I do want to, why don't you share a little bit about your company and what kinds of things you're doing and what you're looking forward to in the future too. Okay. Um, people can find me on Instagram at rebuilt R I B Y L T. Um, I don't post as much as I should. And as often as I should, just because I'm too busy helping people with my hands, but I still try to get as much out as I can as possible. Uh, I have a website too, influentialhealthsolutions.com. Um, that that's my, um, printing company, my publishing company, but there's a lot of information on that website as well, all about my books and everything like that. Why don't you mention what books do you have out there? I know you can buy them on Amazon. Yep. The back pain Bible, the head, neck and shoulder pain Bible, the foot pain Bible, the knee pain Bible. I have, um, the paleo, not your average paleo recipe cookbook, not your average ketogenic diet cookbook. A uh, book called The Everspace, which is kind of like a th- catharsis book that I wrote to my younger self. And then um, I also have a nutrition book out as well called The Death of Dieting, where um, I just I explain to people how to get rid of inflammation in the body and just eat a, a kind of like a whole 30 diet. Like just stop, stop with the box in the bag, dude. the box in the bags, like get them out, mm-hmm. you know, let's, let's get real food on the plate yes. and you're going to feel so much better. Yes. No, that's great. I'll put all of that in the show notes too. Um, any, any last words about your business and if clients in Florida want to reach out to you, I know you're probably booked, but how can they go about that and any other information? Yeah, I'm pretty much, I'm typically booked about a week to a week and a half out in advance. But, uh, what I am most excited about is uh, me and my colleagues have figured out a way to help people via the computer. Okay. And we do this through a course of movements called fascial maneuvers. And basically what we are trying to help people do is become their own best therapist. We are trying to help people become more in tune with their fascia, which will make them infinitely more in tune with the other structures of their body. Okay. And we are now starting to learn how to get, get rid of pain or release pain um, in, in pretty much like one quarter of the time. So typically, you know, if somebody's going to come to you for four sessions, they would typically sometimes only need one. All right. And we're doing it in a much more pain-free fashion. So while I still agree that it takes a little bit of discomfort to get rid of the discomfort, I am using drastically more discomfort in my practice today in or in order to achieve the same or better results because we are working with what is mechanistically true in the human body rather than what parts of the symptoms are. Thanks for all of the information and knowledge. I know you got to get back to work, but all of this, everyone go check it out. Check out all of the resources. I look forward to meeting you one day in person. When you come back to Hawaii, we got to go golf, golfing or something like that. But it was very, very nice to sit down and talk. And thank you for sharing all of your knowledge again. And yeah, everyone, check you out, check out the books and follow you on social media. And I'm sure we'll one day maybe do a follow-up to this episode because this was just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining me, Chris. I appreciate you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you.